Hey, hello again, and welcome to the Indoor Environment Show. I'm Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine and Healthy Indoors Media, and as always, joined by my co-host, Mr. Don Weeks, who is the president of the Indoor Quality Alliance, excuse me, Indoor Environmental Quality Global Alliance, IEQGA. Starting off real smooth, aren't I? <laughs> Hello, Bob. How are you today? Good. You know, and the thing is, we're doing. This seems like we're meeting every week now. You know, for yeah, it, it seems, seems that way, that doesn't way. it? Do you yeah. think I could get the introduction right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. why don't you tell us who our sponsors are? Yeah. So, um, we are uh, our program. This program, Indoor Environments, is a collaborative effort between the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate (ISEAC) and the Indoor Environmental Quality Global Alliance (IEQGA), uh, and we work with Healthy Indoors Media to produce the uh, program for those two fine organizations. And we have a, a very interesting guest today. Um, this uh, particular session is uh, is uh, sponsored by ISIAC, and I'm, I'm pleased to introduce um, Brett Simp Stinson, who is a recent graduate from Portland State University with a BH, BS in mechanical engineering. He's currently working on his master's degree in mechanical engineering from the same university. He's also a research assistant for the Healthy Buildings Research Laboratory, also associated with Portland State University. His recent re research has included wildfires, indoor air quality in middle schools, and the development of an air filtration device for use in homes during wildfires. Welcome, Brad. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I'm, you, I, you're at, uh, is it Healthy Buildings uh, in uh, Aachen, uh, Germany? Yep, Healthy Buildings. Um, I got in yesterday. I went to the conference today, and it was great. Um, I'll be speaking tomorrow around 2, 2 p.m. here. And we're going to talk about that paper uh, in one of our questions here. So enjoy your time there. And I understand that one of the reasons you're there is because you were given a ASHRAE, oh, in this case, an ISIAC uh, student uh, travel grant. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I, I submitted a paper probably six months ago, and I think I was one of two recipients. Um, so they funded my travel here. And yeah, I'd like to thank them for that because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for their generosity. Yeah, it's it's great that they were able to do that. That's terrific. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so. Why don't you tell us? I mentioned uh, that you were worked on, you earned your BS and you're working, uh, will be working on your master's degree in science. Why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about what are the focus of your degrees? Yeah, so for my bachelor's degree, pretty standard mechanical engineering degree. Um, once I was able to start taking electives, I focused on uh, fluid and thermal sciences. Um, I actually started conducting research in my lab pretty early on, pretty early on, um, probably the second term of my first year at Portland State. Uh, and they offer an accelerated master's program. Um, so I was taking graduate level electives in the senior year of my um, bachelor's degree. Uh, but yeah, I'm actually, I defended my master's thesis about a month ago and assuming I passed my finals, which I took before I left for Germany, I'll technically be graduating with my master's this week. Um, and the focus um, of my thesis is what I'm talking about tomorrow at the conference. Um, I think you, you guys have some more direct questions about it later on, um, but it's basically just uh, developing a low cost air cleaner for use during emergency wildfire situations. Yeah, fascinating subject considering what's going, what has been going on in the East Coast of uh, North America over the last couple of weeks. So um, yeah. it sounds that uh, we will ask a little bit more questions about that and perhaps even see, show a slide or two. 
Um, so what, uh, what, what you're, uh, relatively young, let's just put it on the table. Uh, basically what caused you to, um, become a mechanical engineer? What was your mo you know, what was your reasoning for going to grow to undergraduate school and getting a degree in mechanical engineering? Um, to be honest, when I transferred into the four-year in, uh, university, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I did like math and science classes. I gravitated towards engineering because a lot of people told me I'd be a good fit. Um, but yeah, I went to an ASHRAE general in interest meeting. So Portland State has a pretty active ASHRAE club. And yeah, I just signed up to be an officer um, over the course of three years. I went from treasurer to vice president to president. Um, and I met my advisor, Dr. Elliot Gall. He's uh, Portland State's um, ASHRAE sponsor, basically. Um, and yeah, he's the one who got me into, into research. Um, I know usually, or at least when, before, when I thought of mechanical engineering, I definitely thought of um, like robots or aerospace, uh, but my school does, they're really good about offering a lot of HVAC classes. Um, I've taken building energy use modeling, um, a lot of thermal and fluid science uh, classes, and my advisor actually teaches an indoor air quality class. Um, so that's how I figured out what I wanted to do for my master's is basically just taking electives that weren't really mechanical engineering, but technically are because of the HVAC space. Great. Right. And I understand you with, with your defense of your thesis uh, and assuming you'll pass your, your exams, you'll be graduating this week, which is great. Um, yeah. And you'll start up your master's in the fall? I'll actually start my PhD in the fall. PhD so, in your fall. I'm sorry. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. So that's so great line of research, just a little, probably focusing more on uh, fundamental stuff rather than what I'm doing now, which is more practical um, air quality research. And I see you've also, besides the, the grant we, we talked about for ISIAC, you also received an ASHRAE student travel grant, uh, and that enabled you to uh, attend the ASHRAE winter conference in the uh, winter of 2022. What were your impressions at that winter content, uh, conference? Uh, so that was the first conference I went to. I've been to a few since then. Um, it was pretty incredible. ASHRAE goes all out. They spare no expense. It took place at um, Caesars Palace in Las Vegas in the States, which is a famously uh, decadent travel destination that has a great uh, conference space. Uh, and I was I was invited to present the work that formed the basis of my undergrad honors thesis. Um, and that was by far the biggest audience I presented to, probably still the biggest audience I, audience I presented to. So I felt a little bit out of my depth, but uh, I met a lot of encouraging industry professionals uh, afterwards. Like you were saying before we started the show, um, you just run into people in the hallway, uh, you make connections that way. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. And Ashray does a great job uh, taking care of their student members. So not only did they fund my travel there, um, they also had a whole bunch of events set up just for students to orient us to the conference. Um, and to get the most out of the experience as, you know, up and comers new to the field. Um, yeah. So I, I, it was amazing. And I'm actually, hopefully, um, going to the winter conference in Chicago in, in January to present. So, yeah, that's the next big conference, obviously, coming up. There's one um, before that that's, uh, that's down in Tampa in the, in the summer, yeah. uh, smaller, smaller meeting, but certainly one that uh, hopefully you'll get to in the future. They have it, you know, two, two meetings a year. So, that sounds mm -hmm. great. So you got the, you got the uh, uh, involved with uh, the Yay um, group. I call, I think it's called, uh, mm -hmm. and they students uh, activities and things of that nature. Were you able to, or had an opportunity to go to any of the technical committees? Uh, so 
when I went that I was very new to the ASHRAE going ons. Um, so I didn't attend any technical, uh, technical committees. I did go to a bunch of, um, talks, uh, that I found really interested, uh, interesting, um, in Chicago, uh, when I submitted my paper, I was awarded the ASHRAE grant and aid fellowship a few months ago. Um, and it sounds like what I'm doing falls under their technical committee, TC, uh, 204, which is particulate air contaminants and, um, particulate contaminant removal equipment. So I will definitely be attending that one if it's in session um, in Chicago. Yeah, most of the times the meetings uh, are in session. That's one of their main functions. And it's good that you, you're able to attend one that's specifically oriented towards uh, what you're interested in as a, uh, as a researcher. So mm -hmm. um, let me talk a little bit about that, uh, or let you talk about it, actually, and just ask you a question. Uh, you were a winner in 2021 from the US EPA Cleaner cleaner indoor air during wildfires challenge, which was phase one. And then mm -hmm. the, the idea was to build a cocoon, an accessible low cost air cleaner for safer spaces during wildfires. And you, you're presenting that, as you said, tomorrow at the conference. Mm -hmm. So can you give us a little bit of idea of what's involved in terms of uh, particularly the, the concept of a cocoon? Yeah, so the cocoon is just a fancy name we came up with. Uh, part of the EPA challenge was not necessarily selling it, but it was a proposal. So we thought it'd be fun to come up with the name. But really, it's a long piece of fabric that's affixed to a box fan. So the beauty of this design is definitely its simplicity, as you can see there. Um, that was the first iteration of it. Um, we were just trying stuff out. And the idea is that a large surface area of fabric um, which might have a high removal efficiency. Um, and obviously box fans push out very high airflow rates and the combination of those might make for an, uh, an effective air cleaner during emergency wildfire situations. So um, we know what's going on in New York City right now uh, during the Western US wildfires of 2020. Um, that was pretty terrible. I remember trying to buy an air cleaner online or even MERV 13 uh, filters so I could construct a DIY configuration myself, um, a Corsi Rosenthal box or just one of them strapped to a box fan and I couldn't find anything uh, everything thing online was super expensive. There were long wait times. Um, and yeah, it was this lack of access that inspired the cocoon uh, because low cost is is great, but no cost is even better. Meaning uh, when we were dreaming this idea, uh, we were thinking many would have these materials lying around their house. Maybe not like a perfect run of cotton batting, which turned out to be the most effective fabric filter, but maybe like a cotton bed sheet. Most people have box fans. Um, yeah. And so we tested in the field. That was part of an exploratory phase for the challenge that you referenced. Um, yeah, and it worked. It, we we um, used particle and injection decay uh, to back out a clean air delivery rate. Um, we used mass balance modeling to find a target based on the criteria of the challenge. And we were about 40% higher, which was encouraging. Um, so that was the beginning of my thesis. And then we took it a little further in the lab to because we want to control um, you know, over the experiment more. It was a little uncontrolled, but it was enough for the proposal. And yeah, it was successful. So we kept going. So uh, you say it's it's household, common household equipment that people might have. Uh, can you mm -hmm. kind of describe a little bit about what that, how did you come up with the, who was it? You and a team that were working on this together uh, and you came up with these ideas for say cotton batting and other things like that? Yeah, so uh, Dr. Ellie Gall, he's my advisor. Um, he, I think he, he started dreaming up the idea, maybe not for this uh, challenge specifically, um, but his, I think his mother-in-law sewed us a long run of cotton batting fabric. Um, we've, 
worked on different ways to affix it to the box fan. But basically, um, and we tested a bunch of different fabrics. Cotton batting was just uh, the most effective out of the five we tested. But the idea is um, as we continue testing and we test more fabrics, uh, yeah, the idea is that you, if you really need to in an emergency situation, um, you could grab something off the bed from the closet and just zip tie it to a box fan, tape it to a box fan, whatever. Um, and it will remove particulate matter in, in a room. Oh, it's always good to have a mother-in-law of a lot of uh, extra uh, batting, isn't it? Uh, to do these types yeah. of experiments. <laughs> exactly. We were very thankful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, and which, this, I was going to say, this is, this is super timely now too. Uh, so I'm in upstate New York last week. I mean, oh. we were getting PM uh, 2.5 in excess of 400, you know, so it was, that's crazy. Th that is crazy. That's crazy. I mean, that's the type of thing that you do see in some other parts of the globe, you know, but it's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's not anything anybody here was used to. We and honestly, I I wasn't following the news the day that we get, initially got hit with it. I remember waking up in the morning, seeing this reddish tent everywhere through the sky, and it's just my wife was like, "Is this bad?" I'm like, "This is not good." <laughs> yeah, like, that's. I was even closer to where the fires were was, in Ottawa. You were in the fire. No, I, I basically <laughs> almost in the fire. I mean, we woke up and we looked out the window and it was a red sun. I thought I had, uh, you know, entered into some kind of sci-fi era right? or something. It I seemed mean, it apocalyptic. Really weird. It was a very yeah. weird morning, you know, and I'm like, I smell smoke. I'm like, what? What in the world? You know, it's like it. it the, the other question was, you know, she was like, how about those masks we wore during COVID? I go, yeah, N95 is not a bad idea right now. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's reverse of what we were doing. We're wearing yeah. them indoors. Now we're right. wearing them outdoors. <laughs> the way most people wear them, we're wearing them now. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's cleared up a little bit now. But, you know, the fires are still going. It's just a matter of which way the wind blows. And it's my understanding from some discussions here on Canada media it went as far as all the way to uh, uh, to Norway, believe it or not. They were really? able to smell oh, the, well. the campfire smell all the way out there. So you just never know. Um, you, could you get a little bit more specific about when, what was the goal? What, what were you uh, attempting to do? What percentage of, of decrease of uh, particulate were you looking at in terms of uh, this particular device? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So we did design it in accordance with uh, challenge criteria, EPA challenge criteria. And basically they gave us dimensions. It's for a small room. Keep in mind, this isn't uh, supposed to be as effective as like a commercial air cleaner that costs a couple hundred bucks. Um, they gave us, it was basically an 80% reduction of PM 2.5 in one hour under realistic wildfire conditions. I think that was a range of like 65 to 300. Uh, we just used the average to, to come up with a target CADR. Uh, but basically we use that. So 80% uh, in an hour in a small room. And, and that's significant we, though. That's a significant number. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we were surprised. It works like uh, much better than that. Uh, I think when we ran the numbers, it was 83%, an average of 83%. We did four experiments um, in a half an hour. So again, it's, it's, it's meant for emergency use. I think uh, there are some drawbacks like the size of it, but I mean, it works. So it, it was heartening, I think. And do you env envision that you had mentioned that low cost is just a stopping point. As far as you're concerned, it should be no cost. So what, <laughs> what's, your, what's your intention with that? Have you got some thoughts as to how that would go about, come about? Yeah, I mean, when, when I say that, I, I just mean the idea is some people might have these materials lying around. Um, we do, what we submitted for phase one, we were moved on to phase two. If we're awarded um, uh, 
a prize for phase two, we do have ideas about how to, um, well, first of all, make a set of instructions that can be distributed. Uh, people can learn how to make these devices on their own, uh, but also just to, if we had the money to do it, we would make um, little kits uh, and we would sell them at cost um, just because, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's something that the lab, that's basically all we do is wildfire research for the last couple of years. So it's important to us um, to have a, to make, to have, a, to do good things in the community in Portland. No, that's a good idea. Uh, and you mentioned already that you're moving on to uh, phase two of the challenge, which will conclude mm -hmm. in September, 2023. What have been some of the challenges in this phase two of the work? Uh, yeah, so phase two was basically, we proved it worked. Um, they weren't even asking for results. We, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this already, but it, it kind of came about as a class project for mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Gall's indoor air quality class. Um, and then in, we ended up submitting it. We won, we were surprised, we were pleased, uh, but we thought we could do better. Like I said, we wanted uh, more control over the experiments. Um, yeah, so we moved to the lab. Uh, we tested four different fabrics. So basically we were trying to maximize the clean air delivery rate or CADR, uh, which is the volume of air pushed out by the air cleaner. Um, we just wanted to do better. So we tried different fa fabrics uh, in a laboratory setting. It turned out that the cotton batting, what we started with was the best. Um, so phase two included that period. Uh, yeah, which you can see on the screen here. Um, <clears throat> it was kind of cool. So we wanted to come at the CADR. Uh, this is a very thesis-y type experiment, but basically um, what you're seeing here is uh, this is how we measured airflow. So the CADR is a combination of the removal efficiency of the fabric and the airflow pushed through the air cleaner. And this is how we measured airflows. So we used the pressure matching method um, in a sealed run of ducting. Um, then if you go to the next slide, uh, we got removal efficiency um, by pulling air through a series of inline uh, particle counters. And it turned out uh, that cotton bedding was the best. Uh, somewhere between the start of that experiment and now, we actually had a large scale chamber installed in the lab specifically for um, air cleaner testing. So then we really had control over the experiment. We could do it how the professionals do it, uh, if you will. And we wanted to take it further. So we added a second layer of cotton batting fabric to improve removal efficiency. Um, and we also used a cardboard shroud on the outtake side of the fan um, to increase airflows. We were happy. We felt like we maximized uh, the CADR while keeping it low cost um, and easy to construct. So that's what we sent to the EPA. Um, we should find out by September if we won. And that would be amazing if we did, because um, I do feel like there's a lot more work that could be done. Uh, in this space. And I would call this space ultra low cost versus, I mean, you guys are probably familiar with Corsi Rosenthal boxes, MERV 13 filter uh, fans. And we did test those as part of this ex, uh, this campaign. Um, but yeah, we were thinking very, very emergency focused for this. So yeah, I guess so the challenge was like figuring out what was the best thing to submit, you know. And were you able to, you mentioned that you increased the CADR. What, do you remember the how much of an increase you had for phase two over phase one? Um, not exactly. I think uh, for phase one, it, the experiments were a little more uncontrolled. Uh, we were looking for 127. That was our target. And this is meters cubed per hour, not CFM. Mm -hmm. So the numbers are higher. Uh, and we got, I think, 179, 175. Um, I think, so we started doing size resolve data um, and we were much higher than that. I think we were in the 200s by the time we submitted, um, which was really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And what were the size of the particles that you were able to capture by this method? Because I think there must be some on the lower end that probably aren't being captured by the cotton batting, I would think. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. So for phase one, we used uh, super low, not super low, low cost sensors that only reported PM two point five and PM ten. Um, once we moved into the lab, we have uh, an OPS and a P track. So we we have an SMPS, but it doesn't work, and that that gives you size resolved small particle data. Um, so basically, we decided to bin uh, particles into three sizes, so 0.02 uh, to 0.3 microns, 0.3 to 1, and then 1 to 2.5. Um, mm -hmm. So we basically had very small, medium at the 0.3 level, and then big. And um, for this device, yeah, it, it, the CADR is much better in the higher bins, as sure. you would imagine. But even in the smaller bins, it performed pretty well. I mean, still... Um, better than what the EPA was asking for, for this particular challenge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, this, you're talking to a device that, what, what was your projected cost on one of these for somebody, if they had to go out and didn't have all the parts in their house, what, what were they looking at to maybe put, put yeah. this cocoon thing together? Uh, we I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's somewhere between like $30, $40. But the big thing is most people probably have a box fan, you know, like uh, I think $30, $40 at the time, and that was just like searching box fans online, mm -hmm. um, doing square inch uh, analysis of cotton batting and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so so pretty pretty cheap. Yeah, that's inexpensive to say the least. And and certainly, uh, like you said, if you can reduce it by using this, some of the stuff that's in the in your household, it's going to make it even ch uh, cheaper. But I like the idea of your uh, Portland State uh, helping out. Um, with uh, with these devices during uh, mm -hmm. during you know these fire wildfire you know time I like many cities Portland has an, an issue with uh, with individuals that are living on the on the street and this might be a, a, a means to get them a little bit better air than what they what they're currently getting that's for sure so congrats on all of that it's uh, it's good yeah thank you I appreciate it. All right. So you are, have also done some additional research that I wanted to mention uh, and talk to you about. Uh, recently, you received a um, at the HVAC World Student Paper Competition in 2022. Mm -hmm. You earned a second place for your paper, Determining Airflows and VOC Source Strengths for an Occupied Building. So can you kind of describe what this uh, paper was all about and what was the what was the research and field work you completed for this paper? Yeah, this is this was very interesting. This is the very first thing I tackled as a researcher. Um, the fieldwork portion of it did happen before I was a student at PSU, um, but it was such a unique and interesting data set. There were so many ways to look at it um, that I expanded the analysis as part of my undergrad honors thesis. Um, but basically, the lab, the Healthy Buildings Research Lab at PSU, was hired by Portland Public Schools to evaluate the effectiveness of a recently installed um, air cleaning system, a air handler. Uh, at Harriet Tubman Middle School, which was a middle school that was built in um, close proximity to a heavily trafficked roadway in Portland, uh, I-5. Um, and as you can imagine, um, certain complications might arise from that because uh, vehicle, vehicle exhaust um, contains a lot of volatile orga organic compounds that aren't good to inhale, especially vulnerable populations such as children. Um, so yeah, the air handler, it not only included part particle filtration, but it also included a large activated carbon bank um, which was included intentionally to remove these sorts of VOCs generated by vehicle, vehicle exhaust. Um, 
Yeah, so what I did, the first thing I did, um, airflows were not measured directly uh, as part of the campaign. I think they tried to, something went wrong. Um, so I used uh, CO2, so basically uh, periods of accumulation, steady state, and decay to back out air exchange rates, uh, ventilation rates. Um, yeah, and we used a PTRMS to, to measure VOC concentrations, um, and I spent a bunch of time analyzing this. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of angles to look at it. There still are a lot of angles. This data set is pretty amazing and unique. Um, but I particularly looked at VOCs gener generated by humans. So we did a source apportionment looking at like per person emission rates, um, emission rates from the building itself. So building materials and stuff like that, occupants and their activities. Um, and we looked at VOC removal through the air handler. And it turned out the, that the carbon scrubber did, did a really good job. Um, yeah. And like I said, we're hoping to do more, more of this in the coming years. Um, yeah, that's, that, that was my part of it. They, they did a lot more, uh, before I even came to PSU, but, um, I think it's an, an incredibly important study. It was a hot button issue in Portland at the time. It still is. Um, I think even after installing the air cleaner, I was reading up on this on my way to Germany, but, um, I think they're just moving the school, uh, by 2026. Um, the idea is to relocate the school completely away from the roadway just because it is, it's, it's not a good location to be there. They've um, been talking about expanding I-5, so adding another lane to it, which would have obviously increase air pollution. Um, yeah. Well, moving the school is, is a rather extreme uh, result from it. It certainly sounds like based on your, your results that, that that seems like a would be an effective way to reduce the amount of VOCs that are coming into the, into the classrooms. Do you remember what some of the levels were in terms of the VOCs before you did the, uh, the carbon filtration? Um, I don't, I should have, I should have my paper up. Um, they, they did, I think, monitor for several months before, uh, the, uh, air handler, air handler was installed. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I know using, uh, measurements like before and after, um, the air cleaning system, some of the compounds like toluene, I believe is removed at like 95%, something really high. It just kind of varied. We looked at 250 VOCs. Um, yeah, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Okay, no, that's fine. I mean, uh, you mentioned a paper. Uh, has that uh, been uh, something you can send a link to us on? And we can certainly make sure that the audience uh, gets a chance to look at your paper. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I'll send that to you. That. Yeah, that'd be great. So in addition to that particular award, or second place, you also received the best poster award for Indoor Air 2022 conference for your poster entitled VOC Emission Factors in an Occupied Building with Gas Phase Air Cleaning. So what were the findings of that research? So that that was basically the same research, just shored up in a, a way that made sense for a poster. So at, in, at Indoor Air 2022, um, I presented also, but uh, as like a side, um, we submitted a uh, poster for the Harriet Tubman work. Um, so yeah, it was it was kind of the same thing. It was looking at um, removal efficiency of VOCs through the air handler and the Pacific type filter, I suppose. Uh, yeah, it was. It's it's. Or, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what type of filter was it that you were using to reduce the uh, VOCs? Uh, it was an activated carbon bank. So. Um, a lot of portable air cleaners, a lot of the air cleaners that we test in the lab have these, but it was kind of, I don't know that there are many, um, like mechanical HVAC systems that have activated carbon. 
Um, it's not common. First, in the, no, yeah. in the, you know, in, in the real world, it's not common at all. Yeah, and uh, but it just this study got me thinking. Like maybe if if a school is in close proximity to a highway, that should be standard. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't do. I think one of the big issues with that study was I mean, kids still have to go outside for recess. Mm-hmm. They're protected inside, but they're still exposed to VOCs. Um, but yeah, it got me thinking about that. So yeah, just activated carbon somewhat rare in big, big air handlers. I would think so. Yeah. And, and what you mentioned going outside for, for recess, things of that nature, there's also the opportunity for, you know, for doors and windows to be open. And, you know, there's a yeah. lot of difficulties with having a school that close to the, to the highway, to say the least. So yeah, great. Um, that sounds good. Um, you uh, recently, well, you got, in the, we've talked about your student, uh, um, award for Misiak. Are you, you are a research assistant, as mentioned in our in your intro, uh, that you are at the lab as a research for US EPA funded household asthmatic, yeah, astrospheric dynamics under elevated smoke. I think they just made that so it could be said as Hades project. Yes, yes. Yeah. Clever acronym if you break it down. Yeah, yeah. exactly. A little bit will have been more complicated. Can you, can you kind of describe to us what the research you and others are conducting for the Hades program? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this, this was born out of the Western U.S. wildfires of 2020. Um, it's part of uh, a submission that Dr. Call, um, he submitted to the EPA. And basically it's happening in three parts. So uh, I'm in charge of one of them. One of them, uh, a great analytical chemist in our lab, Aurelie uh, Legere, she looked at the retention time of PAHs or polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons after wildfire events. Um, so we exposed samples um, to high concentrations of simulated wildfire smoke. And we had a campaign for a few months just to see how long they lasted on the surfaces. Um, We're going to be doing some field studies in home over uh, the course of next summer. Um, The part that I was in charge of, though, um, it has to do with air cleaners during wildfires. So this is something that keeps coming up in my research. Um, We finished experimentation and analysis uh, this year. We're working on getting a paper out over the summer. Uh, We tested 14 or 15 air cleaners representing a broad range of air cleaning technologies, um, including activated carbon air cleaners, like I said, uh, HEPA filters, um, ionizers. Um, we tried to just gather a, a wide range of uh, different types of air cleaners. And um, also, like I said, we had a um, large-scale testing chamber installed in the lab somewhat recently. So we do particle and injection decay testing there um, to look at CADRs, removal efficiency, stuff like that. Um, and we gathered pine needles um, local to Portland, Oregon. So we're trying to challenge them with a realistic wildfire concentrations, uh, composition, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, we wanted to fully characterize um, the effectiveness of these air cleaners. So we monitored everything we had the ability to, uh, particulate matter, VOCs, black and brown carbon. Um, Yeah, and the results are super interesting, uh, especially for air cleaners that contain activated carbon. Um, I think people are talking about this a lot more. I saw it at the conference a few times today. Uh, It's cool to back out VOC CADRs because that's not something you really see. Um, yeah. And as I guess another part of this, as evidenced by my thesis work, I'm, this is part of the Hades project. Uh, we tested a few DIY air cleaners, so we left the cocoon out of this, even though we could easily add it. Um, but yeah, I'm very interested in that just because the lack of access that I was describing earlier. Um, yeah, we looked at a Corsi Rosenthal box, which as you guys probably know, is a cube of MER 13 filters 
very clever design. Um, airflow is very unrestricted. They had very high CADRs. Um, yeah, and we're working up some summer experiments uh, in the DIY space also. So the Hades Project, uh, basically, it's like the acronym uh, says, we're looking at um, household dynamics under elevated smoke. So wildfire situations and how we can keep people healthy and, yeah, safe during these events. Well, that's good. I mean, basically, uh, is the intent of the re research, uh, you mentioned a number of filters that you're trying out. Are you looking to, at the end of the day, look at to see which one is the most uh, useful, effective, and costly, or uncostly, I should say, mm -hmm. less costly? What is it that you're looking for in terms of uh, the results of these uh, experiments? Yeah, it's, it's we've kind of, this, this project has gone a whole bunch of different ways. Um, every time we test something, there's something else to test. Um, I guess probably the main result, the one that people would be most interested is which of these air cleaners is most effective, which air cleaning right. technology is most effective. Um, but it's also, so we started doing long-term just smoke aging tests. Uh, we noticed when we were doing these pine needle injections um, that small particles turn into big particles uh, as time goes on. So different air cleaners might be a more effective, you know, if smoke's traveling from Canada to New York City. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of, we haven't quite put to, put the paper together yet, but I've done a few preliminary um, presentations. And yeah, I think the goal is to just fully characterize some of these air cleaners in a way that they never have been before. Um, and I think, yeah, the VOC space is really interesting because, um, and that's what I keep returning to when I look at the data, it's because it doesn't seem like there's that much out there where like um, removal rates are quantified. So, yeah, I mean, that's true because the CADR, most most things people are talking about just straight particulate removal are really not talking about gas, gas phase uh, mm -hmm. cleaning at all. So, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. And, and they advertise, I mean, like the ones we tested, they worked uh, and like these companies do advertise that they do have activated carbon filters, but there's it just says removes VOCs. There's not like um, the ANSI-AHAM-AC1 method of testing CADRs for particulate matter. Uh, there's a number and you can compare that number to other air cleaners, CADRs. Um, there's not really a metric for VOCs. So yeah, I think that's so far the most interesting thing to me with those air cleaners. I mean, one one of the other issues that I've seen over the years with limitations, a lot of devices or even even uh, media filters that say, well, you know, they're carbon impregnated, you know, so they have a little bit of carbon in, in the filter media, or they have like a small car carbon, you know, foam element or something that goes in the device versus one that really has a sorbent bed of carbon and, you know, five pounds of mm -hmm. carbon in the device. Um, it, I, I would think they both could probably achieve similar results for a very short term, right? You know, I guess you're, right. you're going to, you're going to spend that ability of carbon in a very small, you know, you know, you have a small amount of carbon in the, in the filtration stream. Um, so I, so th those are, and it's, I think those are things that consumers don't understand at all. You know, they just, yeah. they just see a number on, on a device and they don't really understand the ramifications, but I had a point there. I don't, I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> well, we actually tested, uh, like you're saying, there's we tested a few big air cleaners with huge carbon banks. We were, yeah, I was. It was heartening to see that they actually worked really well. And then we tested some smaller air cleaners that just had like a little flat surface of carbon, and yeah, they didn't do that well. So it, it is a distinction that I think is important for the consumer to have that information because yeah, it kind of depends on what you're targeting to. Um, People might be buying air cleaners for different reasons. And if it is to remove gas-based pollutants like VOCs, 
Um, sometimes companies advertise VOC removal and it's not really, you know, mm -hmm. doing that great of a job. Well, you know that air cleaners were one of the um, items that came very popular during the pandemic for the purposes of uh, uh, hopefully fil you know, filtering out some of the uh, particles that were carrying uh, viruses around. So you have some thoughts on those types of uses for, um, for air, uh, air cleaners? Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm doing some work. Uh, this, it hasn't really been the focus of my research, um, but I do think uh, like the Corsi Rosenthal boxes, the MERV-13 filter, um, based designs, at least in the DIY space, do do a very good job of removing um, those sort of those sort of particles. Um, but yeah, that's that isn't really like I've been so focused on the wildfire aspect of things that I haven't thought too much about it. But I do think it's important, especially in schools. I'm working with someone uh, in Portland Public Schools that this they're very passionate about this, and um, yeah, I think uh, portable air cleaning devices do a good job. And for both wildfire smoke and for, um, yeah, those sort of aerosols, COVID nineteen pandemic, um, they became popular for a reason. It's because, yeah, I think they work. Um, one of the problems is it's always standards. You know, what 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 are we measuring this against? And uh, I understand from from some other um, guests that we've had, and also from talking to certain people, that that's one of the difficulties. How how efficient are they? Are they doing a job? A good enough job to uh, to warrant more use of them. So, it's an interesting problem. Uh, Ashray has a, a committee uh, that's working on a um, an update to their uh, air cleaner um, position document. So, it, you mm -hmm. might want to get involved with that. You never mm -hmm. know. It, 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 it it's certainly a very interesting uh, topic going forward. That's for sure. Yeah, I've um, I definitely would have uh, want to get involved. I've I've read through the position document, and yeah, I think that's. I mean, I returned to that a lot. They they did a wonderful job of summarizing everything from each air cleaning technology to how to test. And yeah, I'd love to get involved with that. Well, good. No, well, they come to the meeting in uh, Chicago, and uh, I'm, I'm sure oh, we yeah. can uh, always use that extra, uh, you know, someone to help out with what what they're doing. So, um, yeah. one other thing I wanted to talk to you about is uh, is really the future. What what do you and think that you're going to be doing? Five years from now, ten years from now, you know, what 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 kind of research are you looking to do going forward as you go through your PhD? Uh yeah, that's that's a good question. I think I kind of have a path carved out just with the Hades projects, um, focusing on wildfires. I do think these sorts of natural disasters are gonna happen more and more frequently. Um, and obviously ensuring air good air quality for all is of the utmost importance. Um yeah, so I, I do think I'm going to focus on air cleaners, especially during wildfire situations, at least for the uh, next few years. Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of the um, indoor air quality in general, uh, I noticed at the conference just today, um, I know there's some talks coming up. The keynote session today was specifically about citizen involvement. I think it's very important. Uh, a lot of the work we're doing with the cocoon uh, is it's kind of like to empower people. Um, People are becoming more and more interested in indoor air quality. They want to advocate for themselves in these extreme situations. Um, I saw, sat in on a session today about low-cost monitoring. I think that's very interesting. I'd like to do uh, research in that space. Um, there's a lot of data out there that we have access to that, um, yeah, just looking at the big picture, the big indoor air quality picture, 
Um, yeah, and anecdotally speaking, I get asked a lot of questions all the time about air quality. I think uh, the next step is it's part education, it's part empowering people, it's part um, giving them the tools necessary. So low cost sensors, sensors that give them data that they can make sense of. Um, I do I do like the idea of bridging the gap, the divide between like academic research and citizen research. So uh, going forward, yeah, I'd like to I like I like the idea of doing practical things that can help, which is what I feel like we're doing with the cocoon. So hopefully in the next three or four years of my PhD, um, yeah, I can bridge that divide. Well, that's good. I mean, basically, I think there is a, a movement afoot, certainly to get more what I would call uh, citizen investigators involved mm -hmm. in the, the various, uh, you know, various mm -hmm. types of problems with indoor air quality and the sensors that are coming out relatively inexpensive uh, make a huge mm -hmm. difference in terms of the, their ability to do that. The issue is, though, and, and I'm speaking as a professional, uh, what do we do with all that data and how does it how does it relate to improving indoor air quality? And uh, and it, it's there. The data is there and, and some people will interpret it correctly. And but if they don't have the experience, it's tough to experience to know whether or not that's going to be the best result. So uh, as you go forward, you might want to consider that. Uh, certainly, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's important to, to keep citizens involved, keep the owner and the uh, doing a lot of indoor air quality surveys over the years. It's keeping the the uh, occupants of the building informed of what's going on. Risk communication is actually a, a very big part of that. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I am, I'm, I'm hopeful that your generation will make a huge difference in that regard. Yeah, I mean. And it is critically important. I mean, to get to make that data, you as you pointed out, you know, there's going to be much more data available from these low-cost sensors. They're going to be more readily available, and you know, making that actionable data, right? Having piles of data that, you know, and there, there's different levels. Like that was just like the keynote at uh, AIHCE a couple of weeks ago, Don. You know, it's, it's like it's not just a matter of collecting the data; it's a matter of having that data then, you know, be relevant to the individuals that you're presenting it to. You know, and there's going to be, mm -hmm. you know. So it's uh yeah it's it's there's a lot to be done. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I uh, I think we're a little short on time, but uh, this, we, the interview has been fascinating. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I wish you the best for the, your presentation tomorrow and and in the future, and hopefully catch up with you at the uh, Ashray meeting in Chicago. So, Sounds any good. last Thank thoughts? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, no, I think this show is great. I listened to a bunch of episodes in preparation. Um, I'm really glad that you guys are doing this. I think, yeah, it does make a difference in, you know, getting the information out there. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for taking your time out of the day, obviously with the time difference where you're six hours. I think it's, than us, or five. yeah, six hours. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah he's he's West coast. He's West coast. I'm West coast. So I was going to say it's <laughs> nine hours, but it's six hours. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's okay. Day. That's still a bit. Yeah. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for being on. So yeah. thanks again. Appreciate it. All right. So uh, if you could hang on a few minutes after we close out, uh, we'd appreciate that. So Bob, go so, ahead and close yeah, this so out. Just, so, so anyway, uh, I think it was a great episode. Interesting to, to see what, you know, what's going on and uh, best of, best luck with your career going forward. Uh, interesting stuff. Um, again, as we mentioned earlier, this uh, program, Indoor Environment Show, is a collaboration between the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate, ISEAC, and the Indoor Environmental Quality Global Alliance, IEQGA, uh, produced by uh, Healthy Indoors Media. And Don and I will we'll keep just bringing these things to you on a regular basis. <laughs> Whenever we can get a great guest like uh, we had today, exactly. we'll definitely make exactly. an interview set up. So. 
exactly. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned. Uh, again, this, as we mentioned earlier, or was on the lower banner. I'll, I'll fly it one more time. Um, if you're watching this live, you can also watch the recording. will be available later uh, sometime today, as well as an audio podcast uh, compendium. Uh, part of it we basically strip off the audio and instead of seeing uh don's and my faces who are best suited for radio you could listen just to the audio part of it on that speak note. for yourself bob <laughs> yeah on, on, on that note so i guess until next time uh you know definitely uh yeah well that was like that was what an awkward closeout i was going to there um <laughs> He's a little off today. I am a little (laughs) off today. You know, it was just like 20th episode. It's like the 20th. uh, Well, anyway, thanks so very much for joining us. Um, We'll see you soon on the next episode of Indoor Environments.